Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter, Built by Scott, and Instagram at King O'Kane, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. If you're in human performance today, you recognize that the industry has changed. Gone are the days of highly focused specialists who live in their isolated lanes, working without the understanding of the whole human being. The world of human performance is about integration today. It's about recognizing what your client needs to do to perform at their highest potential, discovering the parts of the puzzle of performance that need work, while keeping this person moving, training, performing, and succeeding seamlessly. Reconditioning is an operating system for this new world of human performance. The practice honors the role of each specialization and helps define the most powerful and tactical use of interventions that will make a difference. You don't take your car to the garage only when it's broken. You schedule for regular maintenance so that it keeps running smoothly when you need it. The human body is no different and reconditioning professionals are those best prepared to keep the human body running. Check out our courses at ReconditioningHQ.com today. Follow our robust educational programming and become the reconditioning professional everyone wants to work with. Matrix Fitness is one of the world's leading edge manufacturers and suppliers of human performance equipment. I am proud to have them as a sponsor of the Leave Your Mark podcast because I know they are dedicated to getting more people moving. Movement is medicine. All humans are designed to move. And if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that we need movement more today than ever. Stuck in our homes, restricted from much of what we have done socially, getting physical by any means possible is essential. Whether you are at home and looking for equipment that will keep you moving, or you train people for a living, Matrix is there to provide you with the equipment you need to succeed and the advice to make it happen. Matrix has more than 500 products catering to the medical, fitness, and athletic performance markets. Matrix also delivers a wide range of complete programming solutions to build strength, explosiveness, speed, and agility in athletes of all kinds. In this last year, Matrix engaged performance coach Mark Fitzgerald as head of the Matrix Canada performance team to help you make the right decisions on your performance needs. For more information and a free consult, go to teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA today. If you're part of the reconditioning community and you receive messages from the mailing list, you'll be aware of the fact that uh, reconditioning has made some big changes in the last six to eight months. If you're not part of that community and maybe you're seeing things on social media, you'll also have been noticing some of the social media posts around the applied neurology injection and other things that have been going on. If you're not aware at all, uh, reconditioning really is uh, a system for bringing the worlds of therapy and performance together, optimizing your practice, giving you an operating system for uh, really looking at the human body and understanding where the issues are that are creating injury or limiting performance. And, This system is now totally online and available to you uh, 24-7. When you register for a reconditioning course starting this March, there will be an eight-week, once-a-week meeting that allows you to go through that material uh, segment by segment. So you can watch it, then you'll have a a one-hour lab once a week. So it's not a big commitment where you can come in and uh, learn more about that material that you just recently covered. It gives you a sense of accountability, a chance to check in and understand things uh, that you maybe didn't understand, ask questions. And if you can't make those meetings, well, you can um, watch them recorded and you'll have access to future meetings if you want to come back because those eight-week programs will run cyclically through the year. Reconditioning is going to do that for their R1 Foundations program and their R2 Designs program and the R3 CoLab program. So all of the online offerings plus the live offering, the R3 CoLab, will have these online labs that are supportive of the learning process. Really 
it's very difficult in any course situation to be able to go in and take a course in a weekend or even digest it all online without some supportive means. So reconditioning has thought about this and figured out a way to help you get the most out of the program. And it's going to do that also within uh, the construct of a community. So the community opens March 28th. If you're somebody who's hedging on reconditioning R1 Foundation's registration and you just want to see what things are like, it's $20 a month to be a part of this community. And in the community, you're going to get regular case study presentations, guest lectures, guest presentations, guest interviews, and uh, Q&A sessions circulating through the weeks of each month. There'll be a calendar for each month that you can come in. And again, everything will be recorded and mounted on a web portal where you can go and access it anytime, along with a whole series of other materials that have been recorded over the last few years. So this powerful library of material that you can dive into, the ongoing connection in the community and networking. And networking might be the biggest part of all of this. The community is this opportunity for people to connect with other practitioners and professionals. And the really unique thing about reconditioning is it brings together uh, the worlds of therapy and performance. So you've got literally people who are practicing athletic therapy, physical therapy, chiropractic, osteopathy, strength conditioning, uh, all kinds of different performance uh, strategies. And everybody's doing different you got different angles on this material and they're doing different things. So you get to learn from us at reconditioning and you get to learn from the people and your peers and uh, the community itself. So I uh, really encourage you to get involved in the reconditioning revolution mastermind community starting March 28th, along with taking the dive into R1 Foundations. If you need to take the next step, R2 Designs. And finally, if you've done R1 and R2 and all the neuro upgrades, then you can dive in with our next R3 collab September 24th, 25th in Montreal. And if you are an alumni who hasn't done the neurological materials, we have upgrades that you can dive into and basically bring yourself up to speed and gain all the access to all this online material as well. So really encourage you to read the emails, read the social, get connected, and we want to make sure you are the best practitioner possible. You can find all that material at www.reconditioninghq.com today. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Justin Rothenschover. After completing his MS in sports performance in biology, Justin sought out postgraduate work in functional medicine. He has worked as a performance coach in the NHL and NCAA and founded a private camp for professional hockey players to, focusing on healing them from the inside out. Justin has worked with many professional athletes and leaders in the world of business. He is an Amazon bestselling author for his books, Intent, Blueprint, and The Own It Manual. They focused on peak performance performance, human optimization, and applying data and testing to create personalized blueprints. Justin has a knack for making the complex simple. He takes the latest research on nutrition, training, and recovery and packages it into digestible, systematic, and applicable steps and delivers it with his team and outer energy group within the business own it coaching justin has always been self-motivated to improve developing the discipline and work ethic necessary to excel at 13 years old his father said son talent will get you noticed but consistency will get you paid and that set up his quest for founding own it i'm happy to have him with me today welcome justin scott thanks so much for having me it's been uh, a long-time listener so um and uh really love the way that you've paved the careers of so many people in the NHL and continue to have a, a really unique take on those experiences and um, how you can take what you've learned there and, and put it into people's lives on an everyday basis. So um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're taking some time uh, during the week before you get married. So uh, we know uh, the big wedding's happening this weekend. So congratulations, and I, I wish you guys the best with your wedding celebrations. Thank you. Um, but I want to segue back. I like, you know, I like 
interviewing people at different stages, different places in their careers. Uh, you have obviously done lots of great things with your business at a relatively uh, youthful age, which is amazing. And I want to sort of unpack that a little bit uh, so that people can understand how you've approached things. But you've, if you go back to that 13-year-old boy who's talking to his dad, like what was growing up, what was influencing you? And actually, how did your dad influence you as you were a kid, uh, you know, in the directions that you've since taken? So uh, I, I love the take because it's something that I often um, don't talk about in um, in these types of settings, and it was it was fundamental actually in how this journey started for me. Uh, obviously, growing up in Canada, um, Edmonton specifically, it, it, the culture is hockey, right? That's mm-hmm. it's what you're born to do. You skate before you can walk. You, um, spend the mornings out on the outdoor rink before you go to school. And that was just me. And so at the age of 13, I was playing with 16 and 17 year olds and wasn't standing out as much as I usually did. And, um, my dad came to me and he literally said the, those, whatever, 12 words that really changed the trajectory of my life, which was son talent will get you noticed, but consistency will get you paid. And it wasn't monetary payment he was speaking of. It was fulfillment. It was satisfaction. It was could be that scholarship. It could be um, the, uh, the the sense of pride. Whatever it was that you consider payment. And now looking back on it, twenty five years later, you can go, oh my goodness, this actually applies to life as well. And so mm-hmm. at that point, it was. Literally, how can I become the most consistent version of myself? That's that's literally was my goal. How do I become the most consistent version of myself? And what do I have to do in order to make that happen? And mm-hmm. at 13, I was diving deep into uh, medical journals and reading different articles. And uh, the kid that wore heart rate monitors to bed, brainwave sensors to bed, blood oxygenation, um, finger sensors to bed. And I was that weird guy. It was, I'll I'll never forget. Like all the teammates were like, yeah, don't talk to him. He's weird. (laughs) And and even into college and uh, throughout that, like uh, women did not come easily to me. So God bless my wife. Cause, uh, I'm, I'm that guy walking around all hooked up to things and I've got all these metrics and someone goes, uh, uh, like I introduced myself. Hi, my name's Justin. I have an HRV of 105. How are you? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> so it's, um, it, it's, that's just what, um, what I, what I attach to. And, and, uh, uh, like I said, that my, my father really, uh, instituted that from, uh, and opened up Pandora's box with me. Mm-hmm. What, what did he do? What did your dad do? My dad was actually in uh, a business analyst for uh, blue cross. Um, so mm. dental insurance and, um, I guess you could say another numbers guy, um, just mm. in a different space. Do you draw more when you look back as as an adult now? Do you find you draw draw more of yourself from your dad's personality or your mom's? And if if so, which and why? So to be honest, I lean much more towards my my mom. Um, okay. She is a literally one of the kindest people I think you'd ever meet. Um, uh, so empathetic. So if you go to like. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like you go to the top and it's that self-actualized way where uh, you are, you you don't, you no longer are playing the game of chess, but you're literally watching the game of chess being played. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's her where something happens and uh, you're able to digest it in um, a very unique way. And she has this, uh, she's so uh, giving, she wears her heart on her sleeve. She's very emotional. um, And I'm extremely emotional. Now, when it comes to the mannerisms and the uh, tendencies, I lean much more to my father um, uh, being uh, uh, willing to serve acts of kindness, um, uh, kind of a love language. And um, uh, it's so I have an, I have a nice combination and balance of both, I think. That's really cool. Actually, it's, you know, it's a perfect week with you going to your wedding ceremony. This is that kind of period when you reflect on mom and dad and family and all these things that have contributed to who you are today. Like, do you, have you been pondering that a little bit the the last week or two as you go into this weekend kind of thing? A hundred percent. I, um, obviously I live down here in Florida. Um, and so 
if you look geographically, Edmonton being in the northwest Canada and Florida being in the uh, southeast United States, we we literally couldn't be further apart when it comes to mm. distance um, in habitable regions, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, but the they got here about three days ago, and it's been so nice just connecting for the week prior to our wedding. They're going to be here the week after as well, and um, just being able to be close to family, and you start to realize the relationship that you have and the values in which um, they've instituted into you and the way in which you live your life. And mm-hmm. uh, because so often when you're apart, you're you're doing your own thing, and um, that can sometimes be missed if it's not a key focus or a value, um, that you lean into. And so I've really valued the time that we've had together here. And, um, as I've started to put letters together for each one of them that I'll give them on the morning of the wedding, it's, um, it's brought up a lot of emotion because it's been a long journey. I mean, I'm 34, 35 years old, uh, turning here in June. Um, and it's, there's a lot of life that's been lived in those 35 years and none of which could have happened without the love and support of both of my parents, um, from the ups and downs and, um, uh, the, the successes, the failures that have come along the way. Um, the, both of them have been there the, every single time and, uh, have, have just instilled values that, um, have ultimately gifted me, the ability to relate to people, uh, build deep, lasting relationships and impactful relationships. Uh, This world that we live in teaches us that we want to create influence and to seek influence. Um, And then you might take responsibility for a thing or two. And then lastly, you might build a relationship or two, but they kind of flipped that on its head and said, you know what? Create as deep, meaningful relationships as you can with as many people as you can thus immediately take responsibility for what that relationship means. And just by default, you will have influence. And Mm -hmm. when I've been able to take that approach, whether that was through the athletes I was working with, whether it was the business, whether it was my uh, future uh, wife, it's, it's completely changed any type of interaction that we've ever had and ultimately getting what, everybody wants in life, which is buy-in. That's awesome. Uh, I want to take that quote from your dad for a second. When you look back and you, you mentioned, you know, failures and successes in your career and life. Um, do you remember an early call it failure or something that didn't work out where the idea of consistency, actually that, that quote really served you in your decision to continue to push through, even though something didn't work out for you? <laughs> which ones do you want to choose? <laughs> <laughs> you, you choose that. That's the, the question. It's open I can go to through a laundry list I, here. Um, well, that's what I would love for people, you know, on this podcast, it's about learning. Like, you know, I think sometimes what, what, and this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast mm-hmm. is I think a lot of people think that people who have had success, um, you know, they may have had, failures but they're not as evident and in today's society with all the insta life it's hard to actually understand those and i think people take great value in understanding that you had a struggle and this is how you uh, applied yourself and this is what you made happen out of it kind of thing so yeah so i'll kind of go chronologically here just with a couple um and uh, i mean the first one that kicks off is uh when i started at 13 and really got like super obsessive about everything it really kind of i wasn't fully developed in understanding everything that was going on yes i had a lot of information i had a lot of knowledge but didn't know how to apply it and it Mm -hmm. actually hurt me I, i created a uh uh, a very unhealthy relationship on a body image side. I uh, became anorexic. I went from 168 to 98 pounds over the course of about 16 months. Um, mm. And uh, the simple reason that I was consistent with sleep habits and hydrational habits and obviously uh, nutrition exercise was completely out of balance, but was still able to put out 4.0 GPAs, was still able to compete at a high level, but I wasn't doing it in a healthy way. So the fact that I just Mm. 
I didn't die. And the fact that I didn't um, get hurt or uh, create any long-term effects uh, was simply due to that level of consistency. Um, mm. And the impact of another coach that helped me kind of re, I guess, center my trajectory uh, was also due to consistency. So when people, when I start to trust somebody and buy in and understand what's happening, I just, I'm, I'm, if anything, I'm the most consistent person around, <laughs> whether it's good or whether it's bad. <laughs> it, it's, I will be consistently, um, uh, I will be consistent whether it's a, a positive or a negative. And that's, right. uh, and that's just what you can expect. So um, that's, I think that was, that was one of them. The other was uh, through my hockey career, um, cons- getting cut from teams, wasn't big enough, wasn't strong enough, wasn't fast enough, uh, couldn't make the save at the crucial time, whatever it was that I was being told, okay, back to the drawing board, practice and focus on recovery train, focus on recovery, practice, focus on recovery, go back to my fundamentals. And that's what led to my career going from then um, uh, every junior team that cut me played junior, still went to a, uh, a Royal Bank Cup, played in a national championship. From there, was never going to play college hockey, went down to the NCAA, played college hockey, wasn't going to be a starter, mm. ended up playing being a starter, wasn't going to, uh, my career ended, wasn't going to play pro, but yet got an opportunity to walk on and uh, be in Springfield in the American league for two and a half months. Like all of these things that shouldn't have happened mm-hmm. and my career should have ended at midget AAA shouldn't have ever played midget AAA. <laughs> it, it just continued to come at its time. Now me, I'm very, again, consistent at being impatient. So I'm wanting, <laughs> I'm wanting everything yesterday. And so right. I think the biggest lesson that I had to learn along the way was enjoying the journey, being present to where you were um, and understanding that everything will happen in its, in its due time um, mm. and everything will happen as it's supposed to. Uh, and to simply ha- understand that things don't happen uh, to us, they happen for us. And mm. um, we may not know why, um, but, my faith and my um, uh, deeply rooted understanding that uh, that I, I, I am put in positions to take lessons from um, was uh, was something that drove that. And then I think the other big one was um, getting fired from uh, from my NHL job. I mean, it was it's something that you're continually looking up to from the age of five of I want those three letters on my chest and I want to be in that three letter league. Obviously I wanted to play, but that never happened, but um, you were able to coach in in the organization. And um, I'm sure you can attest to this is once you get into that setting, it's not everything that it's cracked up to be. There's uh, a major business side to it that, um, and decisions are made that aren't always value driven and uh, being consistent with my morals, being consistent with my values, being consistent of what I truly believed and holding steadfast to that, not leaving it costing my job. And, uh, in the time it's like, that's really hard to hard pill to swallow, but, um, looking back on it, I would never have it any other way and would have Mm. made the same decisions over and over again. And so I think those areas of consistency hold true in my life, um, and have ultimately gotten us to to where we are Mm, beautiful so what what was the driver or the directional compass for you uh, when you went to school and going on to do your master's etc what was it the driver desire to well first of all i heard you say something about saves were you a goalie I was yes. <laughs> okay, so so again, it, it goes the back tech like freakish guy who loves me. <laughs> exactly, the weirdness factor just <laughs> fell right into the stereotype that just became worse and worse. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, you know what? I want to pivot off that. I'm going to come back to the question I was going to ask because now that I know you were a goaltender, I do want to know how did being a goaltender. You know, I don't think people ask this question very often of goalies, but how did having pucks fired at you at 100 miles an hour actually serve you in your post goaltending career? In essence, where you see, do you see life in a different way because of that fundamental risk or the position you played, etc.? Do you, or do you see it like that at all? So it's a great question. Um, I, I'm a big picture guy. I'm able to zoom out and have a large vision. And I think that just comes along with the territory of goaltending. 
I mean, you have mm-hmm. to be able to see a play form from uh, the offensive zone coming down into yours. And you can see whether it's forming into a three-on-two, a two-on-one. If there's a guy coming on the weak side that you have to keep in the back of your mind to actually anticipate while still being focused in the present moment of if that guy decides to shoot, you have to be able to make that save. And then uh, if you're knowing he's coming this way, where do you have to direct the rebound? Do you not give up a rebound? Do you, uh, how much mm-hmm. time's left on the clock? What's the situation? Like there's so much going on. It, uh, it almost comes into a certain play, like the quarterback or the catcher um, that you have to be very analytical in nature um, that, a lot of other positional players, uh, defense, forward, center, you don't have to have that because you're more reacting to what's there or you're very creative in, in what's being um, put forward. And so I think that part, um, 100% I pull on every single day. Um, the other part that, uh, that you talk about, I'll, I'll never forget this, is um, and, and people, again, just thought I was, I was weird whenever I started practice. And so a lot of people say, well, would you be scared of one timers and taking them off the head? And it goes back to just being a weird dude. And um, <laughs> I would, I would start practice every, uh, uh, every day with a guy, one of our defensemen or whoever it was taking a slap shot from the blue line. And I would literally steer it to the corner with my head. And just literally watching it right in and watching it go. Basically taking one of the biggest fears that you have of taking a one-timer to the face and saying, hey, you know what? I just, I've already had the worst thing happen. I've watched it in and I made the choice. Now from the rest of practice, whether it's a high one-timer from the slot, it, it's no longer scary. It's no longer something that mm-hmm. makes you flinch. And you're so dialed in on that puck that you're able to, your focus isn't broken. And so I've taken that same mentality here is like, what's the scariest thing that's going to happen? How can I take that first thing in the day? How can I attack that first thing in the day? How can I dive into that first thing in the day so that everything else is easy? Everything else is simple. And, uh, uh, and you kind of lean in on that. I love that. That's a great story. What's, um, what's your greatest uh, goalie superstition? (laughs) Oh my god. You must have had I, one being that you're Mr. Consistent. What was again? The one? <laughs> so, so I think the biggest one was I hated playing um on a full stomach. And so um my biggest meal uh would come um right after uh morning skate. So I'd usually have the biggest meal somewhere around eleven thirty, one o'clock, eleven thirty, twelve. Um, I would take a 20 minute nap, um, in the afternoon. And then I, everything, single thing that went into my body after that was all liquid, um, up until after the game. And so Hmm. that was, uh, that was again, one of the big things that I would do. And then, uh, the other one is I would, uh, have to start getting dressed. I wouldn't start getting dressed until it was, um, uh, six minutes and, uh, uh, six seconds left. So I was born um, in June, which is the sixth month. And so I would literally get dressed. I would be, uh, I would be in these types of clothes, six minutes and six seconds before we were supposed to take warm ups, wow. And I get fully dressed in six minutes and four seconds. <laughs> Again, you don't want one of the belts, one of the belts there or clasps to snap when you're doing that. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All of a sudden you're, it's nothing like leaving it right to the last minute. Well, my strap broke. I guess it's going to be a tough one tonight. (laughs) Exactly. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, so I was going to ask you the question. So you, you go in, was your sort of aspiration as you're going through university was to become a a hockey uh, performance professional or did you have other aspirations in coaching? And then you kind of pivoted to strength and conditioning. How did that Yeah, I was, I was very fortunate. I knew from a young age, uh, really from the time in which the anorexia hit, um, that coach kind of, uh, really helped me get out of it. I I just knew that there was something there for me. I loved, loved that concept of coaching in, in that aspect. And so, 
the moment that I chose the school I went to and my uh, educational path, it was all focused on strength and conditioning. Um, my internships that I would do in the summer were all focused on that, um, getting exposure to some of the top strength and conditioning professionals in the country. Um, that became my obsession and, and really strength and conditioning and um, uh, performance data, sports science, um, recovery, HRV, that, that literally became uh, the obsession mm. of mine and wanting to learn as much as I could, wanting to apply it as best as I could, wanting to get my hands on uh, any type of practical aspect, practical experience that I could. Um, uh, it, it's it, what led me to continue to get 20 certifications over the course of three years. And uh, the journey to get those, it, people think, oh, you just went through a typical um, uh, journey of like, you go to a conference for a weekend and come back. No, like you have to remember, like I was in college, I didn't have any money. And so mm. I would save up. Uh, I, I still remember. Um, I would save up money uh, working at uh, an odd job on campus. And then I would drive my car. It was the FMS certification when it when FMS was like the, the hot thing. Mm. Um, I drew, I drove uh, from uh, Amherst in, uh, in Massachusetts to Boston and I slept in my car because I couldn't afford the hotel. And, uh, uh, I would stay outside the hotel that it was at. I would go in in the morning. I would, uh, work out at the gym, just follow somebody in. And then I'd go into the bathrooms and shower and then go into the, <laughs> and then go into the conference for the day. And then on the last day, it was two day long conference. Uh, after the last day, uh, met Art Horn there, uh, who's mm. obviously now the uh, uh, director of strength and conditioning for this uh, Boston Celtics. And he goes, he was at Northeastern at the time. He goes, where are you staying? And I was like, oh, just a hotel down the road. He's like, what's the name of it? Um, I couldn't come up with it. He goes, where are you staying? I was like, just in my car, man. It's like, it's good. I, I'm good. I'm happy there. He's like, you're not staying there. So he brought me home. I stayed, stayed on his couch that <laughs> night. And, um, I mean, and, and the same thing happens. Like I can't remember, God it had to be 85% of the conferences I went to the conferences, the certifications just stayed in my car to, cause you couldn't afford the hotel. It was either, Hey, do you want to stay at the hotel or do you want to get the cert at the end of the day? And it was just, how do I get exposed to as much as I can? Um, and be able to, uh, uh, again, learn and be around these people that um, are doing exactly what I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. So you tell me the story of how you get your job in the National Hockey League and then pivot off of that to, you mentioned earlier, you know, the differences in what the expectations might be and what it ends up being. So just talk a little bit about what your expectations were and how they changed when you got into the business. So yeah, so how you got there and then the expectations piece. Quick break here and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with our podcast guest. Are you in the world of human performance or do you seek to perform at your best each day physically and mentally? Matrix Fitness is a company dedicated to helping you succeed. Whether you train people for a living or you live to train, Matrix has the equipment to help you make it happen, and they have the guidance and support you need to make your best decisions. Matrix recently engaged performance coach Mark Fitzgerald as their head of performance, and his wealth of knowledge and experience in training people and building leading-edge performance spaces is unparalleled. Mark and the rest of the team at Matrix will stop at nothing to ensure you reach your objectives in human performance. For more information... And a free consultation, go to teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA and explore the possibilities today. Hey there, just want to circle back on some of the things we've done with reconditioning in the last little while. Um, we have all our courses online now, uh, R1 Foundations, R2 Designs, and our R3 Collab. These courses are available to you for purchase anytime you want. You can get on there and, and buy them anytime you'd like on our website, www.reconditioninghq.com. Throughout the year now, we're going to be running eight-week once a week meetings where we teach up uh, and walk through some of the material as you're walking through. We're going to establish calendars. The first one starts for our R1 Foundations course, March 28th, where we just walk through all that information and make sure you understand it on a weekly basis. And if you can't come, we'll record the meetings and you can watch them later if you want. Uh, so it's really an opportunity for you to digest things at your pace with help and support. And we're going to do 
that in linking to a community we've created, the Reconditioning Revolution Mastermind Community. This is a private community where we're going to gather people who are in and interested in reconditioning and understanding the human performance world, networking with people, expanding your circle of influence. That's what this is all about. And touching and connecting with one another. We've been so distant from one another for so long now. This is all about bringing us together under that roof of reconditioning. And we're super excited about it. And lastly, just want to let you know the IHPS is on. I've been talking about it in this podcast with Mark Fitzgerald and it's Going to be rocking and rolling uh, June 10 to 12 in Mont-Tremblant, Quebec. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, reconditioninghq.com. We're back. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. Yeah, so it was, uh, I was always a big networker. It's always been a big uh, gift of mine is, again, building relationships. It would go back to that value that was instilled with my parents. And so um, when I was at Louisville, Tina Murray um, gave me full autonomy of data and applying it with uh, men's, women's basketball. And um, even during that time, I still had a... Um, uh, one of the internships I had done was with Kevin Collins in, uh, in Columbus with the Blue Jackets. Um, and so obviously the Springfield Falcons being in the American League um, and being close to where um, I went to school uh, for, uh, for my undergrad when I was still playing, I would go out and I'd be their practice goalie. And then I would also come back and actually intern and do their strength conditioning um, at the same time. And so it was really that level was like the first taste of it. And then going to Louisville, um, being able to apply this, having autonomy over it. Uh, I then got a job, uh, that's during my master's program. Uh, I then got a job at Miami of Ohio running, uh, as their director of performance for men's hockey. And that was my first like real, here's the keys to the castle, build it from the ground up, brand new facility. Here's a budget, build the facility, everything from the, like, like build the whole curriculum, build the philosophy. Here's yours. Like, and that's as a 23, 24 year old kid. Like that's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool experience, um, to be Mm -hmm. able to, to be able to do that. And, um, at that point I had really started speaking on a lot of these topics, really started, uh, kind of just being a little bit of a maverick, if you will, because data was, not cool at that time. It was cumbersome. It was something that was supposed to stay in the, um, uh, in the labs and we're out here building mental toughness. We're building here, just grinding and just, this is just the way it's supposed to be. And so kind of going against the grain and, uh, Rico Blasi, who was the head coach at Miami at the time, gave me a gift and he bought into everything that I was doing. He wanted to do things differently. And we had a lot of success. We put uh, about 18 guys to the national hockey league over three years. And uh, we're a very um, uh, talented group. Um, no injuries performed extremely well. And uh, I can sit, uh, I wrote a couple books while I was there um, that uh, uh, really became how to, again, myself and Devin McConnell, who Devin McConnell is now the uh, director of sport performance at uh, uh, with the Phoenix Coyotes. And, um, it, it kind of solidified myself as like the data guy, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget. I went to, um, I consulted, uh, with the Washington capitals on how to utilize data in their, uh, in their system, um, while I was at Miami. And then that summer I went to and spoke at the NSCA national or the NSCA national conference, but then the NSCA hockey conference in Colorado Springs. And I connected with Mark, uh, Mark Fitzgerald, uh, really closely. Um, and he goes, uh, I love what you're doing. I, I love the implementation. There's, uh, potentially a spot in Anaheim, um, that we can, we can use this. And so it was about six months later that, uh, I ended up, signing my first opportunity to be in the NHL and um, really manage every single thing from the the data point for uh, for them, as well as running uh, everything in San Diego um, in their American League program. And so kind of, again, the close proximity between San Diego and Anaheim being extremely close um, was just got to spend a lot of time in Anaheim while having amazing 
experience in, in San Diego, again, running an entire program with Dallas Aikens and, um, and on just operationalizing things. So it was, that was kind of the journey in getting there. And the moment that I got there, wanting to implement certain components where you realize very quickly you're not in college anymore, where the relationship that I had with Rico was extremely special. Um, and, and even the relationship I had with Dallas, um, extremely special where, uh, the input that you had, the influence that you had, again, goes back to the relationships that you built and the responsibility in which you took in making sure that what you were putting in place was actionable, practical, and data-driven. Um, where things started to really kind of go back to the business side was just the way that um, recovery, performance, and business kind of came together. Um, and some of the decisions that were made from an upper office management, was it, it uh, you started to see the uh, implications in the players' lives where um, it, it was detrimental to um, to the well-being and the health of them long term, and mm. I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't stand aside and watch that. And so after two and a half years, um, and obviously myself starting the uh, the hockey summit down in in Florida, where the main focus of that was to impact the players from the inside out, looking at uh, cellular nutrient dysfunction, looking at blood testing data, looking at ways in which um, uh, plant-based medicine, CBD could be implemented in certain ways, how personalized uh, recovery modalities could be implemented, uh, looking at uh, DNA and um, uh, genetic predisposition as to how we could implement this for different aspects, measuring heart rate variability, uh, uh, through uh, 24-hour monitoring uh, practices. All of these things, uh, we went from seven guys to 77 in about two and a half years and started to get a lot of pushback because, again, do your job, stay in your lane, write a workout, that's it. Tell me what the data says, that's it. And it just did, it, that's just not who I am. And mm -hmm. um, it obviously caused the... Um, the splitting and the parting of two ways, but um, mm -hmm. that experience was extremely, uh, I value that experience. I value every single experience I go through, the relationships in which I built during that time. And, um, and, and ultimately I don't think we would be where we are today had, had that not been the case. So there's, mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I value everything during, during those years. And um, it was, it was awesome to be able to be there. And then ultimately to realize that, Hey, I, I, I meant for more. I want to do more. And then, uh, mm -hmm. um, being willing and able to, to dive into that next phase of my life. Very cool. Um, around the idea of technology, I just wanted, you know, like you obviously have dove into this substantially and, uh, it's part of what you do with your company. Um, where, where is technology misused and where is it best used in some sense? I, I love the uh, I love the question because it is so. I, I just love the question. Technology gets misused when it is used as almost a uh, 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 not a big daddy. What is it? big brother? Like a big brother type of thing, where it's like, what are you doing? Uh, how can I reprimand you for this? How can I uh, talk down to you about this? How can I um, uh, punish you for this? Versus or even motivate you like instead of how can I empower you? How can I take a look at this, teach and educate you? How can I look at this and ultimately for me, give you something that's going to thus impact you as well. And so when you look at it from those two angles, empowerment and education, which just transcends the relationship that you can have with an athlete or a client or a patient or whoever it is to ask better questions. And the moment you ask better questions, you can, get better answers. And the better you get better answers, you can ask better questions. And you ask better questions, you get better answers. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what do you get? Better results. Rather than mm -hmm. using it as a checkup mechanism or a motivational mechanism or a punishment mechanism, it's something that now literally helps build relationships so you can do what you want to do, which is coach. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's just anecdotal or subjective uh, measurements of like, what do you think? What do I think? Do they congeal? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. But instead, now, hey, 
let's go off something that doesn't have any emotion. Numbers don't have an emotion. Data doesn't have an emotion. They don't care who you are. They don't care um, what your opinion is. They don't care what the history is. They're just going to tell you what's current state. And Mm -hmm. I always say, Mm -hmm. I trust God, but everything else, show me the data, because that's where we can now create this, this, this great journey together and Mm -hmm. be so much more um, educated to, uh, to understand what cords we have to pull to get what we both want at the end of the day, which is better health, better wellness, better longevity, better performance, better rest, better recovery, whatever. Like it's, it's just better, greater capacities. You can, you can, whatever that buzzword is for you or whatever motivates you, whatever that value driven purpose is for doing whatever you're doing, but it's a way in which we can do it that, um, it can be, it come back to that one big word, I think, which is empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love when I hit on a question that hits somebody's passion. You can see that that's uh, <laughs> what center, centers you. Um, I was just going to comment because I think, you know, it's, I loved your response to that. Um, I think for me where it gets misused is when it becomes snapshot-itis versus, and to coin a word you use, which I th- think is, a, I can see in you why this is so valuable, is the consistent use of it. People miss, I think, misuse technology when they take it as a snapshot rather than looking at trends and what's going on over time and you know really diving into it it can't be something you take a picture go ooh make all these decisions off of and then come back you have to have a consistent intention about what you're doing uh, agree disagree but that's kind of where I, I i i lay my flag so to speak no it's an awesome ad it's a it's a really great ad because uh, i mean if take a snapshot go back to what you said you take a snapshot you can make the data say whatever you want it to say Mm-hmm. Um, you can spin it whatever way you want it. But if you look at trends, if you look at long-term, you uh, have a system and a philosophy that you operate off of, it's going to help direct you. And it's going to make you a better coach. I, I, I don't care what you say. Like It, it is simply going to allow you to do what you're passionate about at a greater level with more intention, with more purpose. And when you lead with intention, you're going to get greater results at the end of the day and mm-hmm. build greater relationships, which will create better buy-in. You hear Brett Bartholomew talk about it all the time. How do you get athlete buy-in? How do you get client buy-in? That's, that's You're not going to motivate them there. You're not going um, uh, to, they're not going to get there by accident. It's something that takes purpose, intention, and focus and, and a guided philosophy that, that data can really help you do. Very cool. So um, getting married this weekend. Where do you meet this uh, beautiful lady and uh, how does she uh, wedge herself into your analytical mind, so to speak? Well, she's the, uh, she's the yin to my yang. Um, <laughs> she is, uh, uh, in, in Own It, we have what we call inner and outer energy. Inner energy being a lot of the mindset space, being able to uh, really understand consciousness, understand uh, intentionality, where outer energy being a lot of the data, a lot of how your body's operating, what are we looking at? And so when I say the yin and the yang, she's the inner energy, I'm the outer energy, they come together in, in a business way extremely um, extremely uh, seamlessly and um, holistically. So um, that's kind of just a metaphor to how our entire life works. <laughs> um, she's extremely organized. I'm extremely... Um, visionary and all over the place um so we uh again we we synergistically come together for uh the greater good in a lot of different ways and uh we actually met back in uh 2016 in the summer my first year down here doing the hockey summit Uh, again i say everything happens for a reason um and uh we met at the pool one afternoon um it was love at first sight for me and Definitely not for her, but uh, <laughs> um, but it was uh, it was love learned for her. Let's put it that way. And it was my and I'll say it, it was my consistent pursuit of her that uh, that ultimately uh, uh, led her to learn to love me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I'm going to read six you years your pr- of consistent uh, pursuit to uh, con- to, to get to get to that day. <laughs> Well, you got here, you know, you can say uh, your dad was right in some sense. There you go. Um, you, I'm going to read your purpose from my lovely book, The Day You Were Born. So you were born July, ni- July 19th or June 19th? June 19th, 06. Oh, I got to make sure. Six, 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 minutes, sure. six minutes and six seconds. 
before yeah, yeah, that's right. I gotta get the right I gotta get the right date here before I screw this up because I almost read you the wrong date. Oh, goodness, goodness. June. Flubbering my numbers here. Oh, there we go. June 19th. Beautiful. You're a Gemini one. Sure. So are. Your, pur- your purpose is to use your intrigue and camouflage as a means to accomplish your goals, instinctually knowing when to take a stand and state your truth. Self expression must pass into communication for its fulfillment. Pearl S. Buck. The one's desire for freedom and self expression finds itself challenged in Gemini. These are souls willing to fight for the oppressed, eager to change the world into a place where everyone has the freedom of choice and to be who they so desire. The challenge here is flexibility and their tendency to become a attached to truth and not to see the freedom that also exists in restrictions and responsibility. Gemini one is challenged to understand the potential and limitations of the masks he chooses to wear gifted with writing and oratory skills. They have high principles and tendency to be stubborn. They need to remember there is more than one way to pursue the truth and that when they meet an obstacle, it's up to them to transcend it. They have the power and the magic able to live for someone else to give their life to a cause. Gemini one's need to Remember, they are here for their own journey. They can't let their own paths become secondary to someone else's. They should exchange ideas and explore other worlds, but bring it all back and make their own. Love that. I love that. I think we I think we covered a lot of that even before hearing <laughs> that read. <laughs> Tell me about um, you know, off the back of that, you um you Something challenging happens to you, obviously, with the, the loss of the job. You you now reflect back at the time. What what do you decide you're going to do about that, and how does it transcend itself into what you're doing now? Yeah, so it it even goes back about eight months prior, and uh, I was I was just feeling lack of fulfillment. I was feeling sorry for myself, to be honest with you, about my circumstance, quote unquote. Um, in the NHL, um, between, uh, between there and the American league. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't know if this is like what I want to do, but I, I, my ego wouldn't let me put the NHL away. Um, Mm. it was being in that three letter league. And I happened to be in a mastermind that, um, uh, magic Johnson was speaking. He talked about his experience in his last year in, uh, LA with the Lakers during, um, his contract negotiations. He said, I want the uh, emails and phone numbers of the season ticket holders in the first two rows. And his purpose was to call them, uh, set a lunch with them and go and learn from them because they were obviously extremely well-known, um, and successful people because of what they've done. And so to this day, he's got about 20 of those people that he has extremely close relationships with and about 10 who he's in business ventures with. Um, and it just had just because of his, who's going to turn down a lunch with Magic Johnson. And so I heard that story and I was like, you know what, pick up your big boy pants and you know, you're on the road for about a hundred days this year, make it purposeful, make it intentional and be consistent. And so every single road trip I went on, um, I set a meeting with uh, an entrepreneur and a business person in the city that we went to. Um, and I sat down with them again, you have a privilege of having a three letter league on your chest, get a lot of meetings. And as soon as I met with somebody, I'd say, Hey, is there somebody else that you would recommend I meet with? And it just kind of spiraled from there. Um, I learned a lot about business. I all of a sudden realized that when, um, you get out of this single minded mindset of being with like-minded people all the time and sports and athlete, uh, athletics, that there's a massively vast world that I know nothing about that I need to learn. And mm. over those eight months, I learned more than I, I, it was incredible. Um, and in those conversations, people would start to say, so what do you do with the guys from a performance side? And I'd get into what I do with data and into uh, individualization of blood testing and um, uh, looking at numbers and HRV and how it applies to rest, recovery, sleep. They were like, could you do that for me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So over the course of a year, picked up probably close to 30 private clients doing this work with uh, around the country remotely. And, um, ultimately had somebody say, you know what, like, this is a really amazing business. If 
you could spin this into what you're doing, um, which is ultimately what we're doing now. Um, and uh, over the course of the last three years, um, it's it's morphed, um, ultimately selling part of our company last summer, um, becoming the uh, uh, exclusive coaching partner to, to Whoop um, and uh, working extremely closely with them. Uh, we now have a team of uh, between the app and the and the coaching business. We have uh, a team of forty three, um, serving in one to one coaching, uh, corporate, um, athletics, specifically um, uh, AAU and the NCAA, and then um, a retreats business that uh, also leads into uh, the coach the coach model um, at different. Um, uh, say CrossFit gyms or uh, box gyms or something like that to help educate them on how to use data more effectively um, and best get clients uh, greater results. So it's been it's been a really cool journey. Something that again I value every single moment that I had there because uh, without that chapter, um, this chapter doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, for the listener, you know, there's obviously my listenership is a lot of people in human performance, but they're often like you just talked about, you know, um, springboarding into business or thinking about crafting something, what are two or three of those life lessons that you've taken away that maybe you didn't know before and have applied since from some of that advice that you could sort of gift to the people who are listening around them starting? What are some key things you think you need to do when you want to create something for yourself? Yeah. So number one, be patient. Don't say be consistent. Yeah. No, (laughs) number one, be patient. Uh, super, super patient because you, you think just like rolling into any job, right. That it's, you're, you're in a, you're in something that started long before you and you start to get results really quickly because you're already into something. When you're starting your own thing, you have to be patient. You have to be willing to, uh, and I'll tell a story here in a second, but you have to be willing to sit through, um, no likes, no responses, no um, messages, uh, no clients. You have to be willing to sit through that um, and willing to push through that. Number two is be willing to network with people outside of your knowledge base. So be willing to network with people in the arts. Be willing to network with people in marketing, be willing to network with people who are entrepreneurs, be willing to uh, network with people who are in finance, learn those areas, and then open up your eyes to the creative aspects that you can take from there and apply to what you're trying to do. Because um, so often we get so caught up in a uh, uh, a single track mind that we aren't able to truly see the, the, the forest through the trees and that there is so much more out there that comes into it. I know that you've probably experienced this too, going into business. Like there's probably so much that you had no idea that you were getting into. And the moment that you did, there's just a couple levers that could be pulled that transcend the impact that, that, your business truly has. And, um, it was by somebody that had no idea about what it is that you truly do, but they are so good at what they do and they could share light on of little tricks, tips to help you get started and then get across. The other, the third one is once you, um, get started, once you get going, and this is a book that I've read, uh, uh read that kind of changed my mindset was who, not how, and it's who you put in the seats that, make all the difference in the world. Um, Making sure that the people you put in the seats share values as you. Um, Make sure those people also share the same work ethic as you and that they share the same vision and mission as you. They don't have to have the, they don't, you don't have to agree on how you get there. You don't have to agree. uh, You don't necessarily even have to like them. (laughs) It's making sure that those things are aligned. And because even when you do disagree, they are going to, you guys are still going to line up on the same mission values and where you're going that you can attack those at the same direction mm-hmm. and know that what they do, their talents are probably something that you're not as talented in. Um, and the, the minute you start adding who not and trying to figure out who, not how 
You're going to time collapse everything. You're going to get there faster. You're going to go back to number one, which is patience, and you won't have to exude as much as of it. Um, and the job will probably get done better. And I guess the fourth thing, uh, this is like a quick snippet, but uh, whatever it is that you hate doing, it's somebody else's flame. And so understand that being willing to step back and not say I have to do everything, but know that something that you really dislike doing um, is light somebody up and they probably do it really, really well. Mm, nice. Well, you're going to get married this weekend. What's your greatest, what's your greatest wish for your, you and your lovely bride moving forward that you can conceptualize together? So number, I mean, there's so many things and we've talked about this, um, probably a hundred times in the last month or two, um, going through our marriage prep and going through, uh, just really trying to be present on this day. But uh, I think it comes back to consciousness. And um, no matter what the situation we're in, whether it's uh, an argument, whether it's a tough season of our lives, um, but showing up and leading with love um, rather than leading with hate. Uh, there's so much hate in this world. That's There's so much anger that we lead with. Um, but if we should rather show up with love and, and empathy, um, and, and do that from a conscious place, uh, it's amazing how fast you get through disagreements, how fast you get through, um, tough seasons. And, uh, uh, as I, I can't remember who said it, but if you're going through hell, why stop there? Um, just keep on going and, and lead with Winston Churchill. Yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, you'll, uh, you'll get through it a lot quicker. Who apparently has the same birthday as me. So there you go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> his his uh, thing is my thing in this book. So, well, that's a beautiful way to finish. Uh, I know we're going to segue into uh, you interviewing me now. So uh, I will uh, say good day to you and thank you for taking the time. And I will click the link and come back to you on the other side. Well, I appreciate you so much, Scott. And uh, I can't wait to uh, to get you on the other side of this microphone. All right, man. We'll see you in a few. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome. <laughs>